Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. Then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at, this, at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. May God add blessings to the readings of these words in every time. And in every place. Do join me in prayer. God, open our eyes anew this morning to the wisdom of these words, your word. And in this moment, speak through me in spite of me so that we might experience something holy, something good, and something true that will carry us this day and many days into relationship and love with you, your creation, and your children. Amen. As you might imagine, uh, like many of you, uh, most of my important relationships come from my work. It's true that many of my friends are pastors and I really liked church when I was a kid. That's how everybody knew I was going to probably be a little different. And so some of the most important relationships in my life have been pastors, church camp counselors, church family members. It's a big part of why I'm a pastor today. And also, to be confessional, one of the hardest parts of the job, um, as I know it, is the weight that comes with remembering how important a pastor can be to someone's faith formation It's why I wear a stole when I preach, not because I like the way it looks or anything particularly there, but because the symbolism is that it's supposed to remind me of the weight of the yoke of pastoral ministry, lightly but present. And so because so much of our faith is transmitted from one person to the other, I find myself in the legacy of people I've never met. I'm a second generation, as it were, to some of the folks, or third, or fourth, or fifth, or sixth, as faith winds its way from generation to generation, from follower of Jesus to follower of Jesus. It's why even in this church, I am aware of the faithful legacies and am an inheritor of the work and life and ministry of folks like Eleanor Bollinger. I own forehand. Luther Gadbury, when we proclaim the faith, our words are accented like theirs. 
That's part of what it means when you come along with the church. As you accept that their dialect will become yours. And one of the people who affected me, who I have never met, and I don't think can meet, goes by the name of Sister Marquita. My teaching pastor in college, Pastor Dwight, was a young man in his early 20s. He was newly married and outside of the church, as so many young people are. He grew up in a more fundamentalist brand of Christianity and was tired of his church proclaiming that they were the only church. And so he decided that he didn't want anything to do with Christianity if it acted like that. But while in the hospital one day, his life changed in the most serendipitous way. Because of a ministry in the Illinois-Wisconsin region, though, called Life-Giving, Life-Changing Stories, that are recording some of these stories, we can hear Dwight's own account of that day in the hospital. My roommate in the hospital uh, was an Irishman, uh, about 30, 35 years old, jolly fellow. Um, and he was born and raised in Ireland, full-blooded Catholic, and um, he just loved people. Uh, never seen anybody uh, so loving and jolly. And uh, on this particular day, he had just been um, told that the source of his chronic pain was uh, inoperable, incurable, untreatable, colorectal cancer. He was devastated. They didn't send in a priest, they sent in a nun by the name of Sister Marquita. She acknowledged me on the way to his bedside and took his hand and sat by him and asked him to tell her what was wrong. And with, uh, with every fear and every emotion, every anger that he expressed, she just kept bringing him back to the center of his faith. Finally, he said, Sister Marquita, when I die, what's going to happen to my lovely wife and our six beautiful children? She reframed it in a positive way. She said, child, don't you believe that the same God who brought you this lovely wife and these beautiful children would be a big enough God to take care of them after he's called you home to your eternal reward? And then she prayed with him. And I never heard anybody pray the way that she did. As she was leaving, I asked her to stop and pray for me. And she did. She must have been very intuitive because she said, now child, tell me about your own prayer life. I didn't want to tell her everything that I was thinking and experiencing. So I just said, sister, I don't know how to pray. She changed my life when she leaned over the bed, looked me straight in the eye with the kindest eyes I've ever seen on a human being. Said, child, you don't have to know how to pray. Just talk to God like he's your best friend. Just talk to God like he's your best friend. In today's scripture, we're back in the Garden of Eden, a story that many of us are familiar with. If you've ever grabbed a Bible and decided, today is the day I'm going to start reading it cover to cover, there's a good chance you at least made it through Genesis 3, even if you didn't finish your goal. 
We're back and our humans have done what they were asked not to do. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one tree which God instructed them not to eat. We're back and the deed is done. Their illicit meal has been shared. And Adam and Eve realize that they are naked. And so clothes and hide from God. And so God reappears on the scene with the evening breeze and asks, where are you? To which Adam, or a more literal translation, the one named human, replies, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. These are the first words that Adam says to God that are recorded in Genesis. But prior to this, in chapter 2, there's a snippet of a verse that Adam recites about the creation of Eve, but that doesn't seem to be addressed to God in the same way as this line. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. It just might so be happening that we have stumbled on the first prayer in our scriptures. Today we begin a new worship series for the month of February called Away to Pray. We're going to work through four important uses of prayer. And we're going to start today in Genesis. And by the end of the month, we will end in the last prayer of the Bible in Revelation. Bonus points if you go look it up ahead of time and and tell me about it. I'll have a treat for you or something. We're spending a month talking about prayer because it is one of the most important spiritual disciplines for followers of Jesus. It gets a lot of airtime from pulpits, many mentions and devotionals, and even scripture itself emphasizes the importance of prayer. The gospels often mention that Jesus would go away from the crowds or even from his own disciples to pray. Now, I will also mention... Prayer is not just important to us as Christians. We're not the only religious tradition that prays. Jews and Muslims and Hindu peoples, they pray too. The connections between Christian prayer and Buddhist meditation has been studied and considered extensively. And even within Christianity, we don't all emphasize prayer in the same way. Some branches of our family tree emphasize spontaneous prayer and will disregard a prayer that's pre-written. Other branches prefer time-tested prayers that unite the whole church. Thing is, again, of like our Catholic and Episcopal friends, uh, the Episcopal Church is united above all things else by the Book of Common Prayer. Some churches emphasize praying the Psalms or only singing the Psalms instead of hymns or other modern music. And some Christians have found deep, deep meaning in praying the offices or fixed-hour prayer. Uh, which often involves stopping at set times throughout the day, generally in the morning, noon, evening, and sometimes even in the middle of the night or the middle of the dawn, to do a short worship service of prayer that is designed for individuals. And if you're interested in that, I have a ton of books on that. I tried it once and might try it again this month. And yet, for all of our tools and all of our talk and all of our emphasis on prayer... 
It often just seems hard. What do you say when the metaphorical phone finally clicks? Perhaps today's story of Adam and God can help clarify our strange relationship to God. One where God is closer to us than our very breath, and yet seemingly so far from us so much of the time. As we consider the story a little more of Adam and God in the garden, I always stop uh, when we read creation accounts in Genesis to simply say that these texts are get talked to death, especially in our modern scientific age. Popular scientists or fat cat Christians alike have both used this text to thumb their nose at the other side, uh, which is often a fake fight, which is often for lots of money, although sometimes they are for deeply held reasons of spiritual practice or Bible reading or commitment, I guess, to science. And in this church, we have folks who read the story and believe that there was a real person named Adam who was in a real place called the Garden of Eden. And there are some of us who see this more akin to a parable, a story that helps us to see a larger point about God and God's ways. And what unites us, though, in this church is that when we read it, we find something true. And that it does tell us something real about God and God's special relationship to humanity. And so what this story tells us is that once upon a time, there was wholeness. And that wholeness is now fragmented in the relationship between humans and God. And it is from the human side. Our relationship has become strange, estranged, if you will, as Adam and Eve come to a consciousness when they realize that they are different than God. That they stand out and apart from God and God's created order. Which is why they make clothes. It's why they hide. Because they now see themselves as different, distinct, and other. But nevertheless, God comes back on the scene asking, where are you? As Timothy Jones says, who is a pastor, God asks questions in scriptures not to get information, but to elicit response. Because that is what God does. Even in the midst of our missteps and and the, the coming judgment from God, even from this correction that God will soon give Adam and Eve, God continues to seek out relationship with humanity. It's that same seeking out of relationship that we see through Moses and judges and prophets where God has sent them to bring people back in. It's that same impulse that culminates in the life of Jesus. Jesus who had love that will not let us go. Even up to suffering and dying on a Roman cross to demonstrate God's radical solidarity with humanity. It is that same love in God that provided the Holy Spirit to be our eternal and present comforter closer to us than our very breath, asking us, where are you? Over and over and over again. God proves that God is here and that God wants to be in relationship with us even when we have distanced ourselves. But over and over and over again, we find ourselves saying, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. 
because I was naked and I hid myself. But as it turns out, my friends, that's a prayer too. That's a fine prayer. It's the first prayer. That's the start of our prayers and of the praying life. That is the start of talking to God like God is your best friend. The church has a special word for this kind of prayer. Not only where we admit to God what's up in our life and in the world, but where we particularly name the way or the ways that we have been active or complicit in the fracturing of our relationships. And this way of praying is called confession. Confession is a loaded term, especially for those who have had to go to a confessional or for those who have felt uh, that that word has been brandished to them like a weapon, as if their sins were somehow worse. Or they've been told that they must confess because their entire life is sinful because of the way or the who they are. And confession is often used badly. And now those are bad, my friends. Not going to confessional. That's a different way to practice Christianity. But when the word confession feels like a weapon, when you feel like you're on the point of a spear, especially from somebody who's a little angry or a little self-certain. So I use this word cautiously because I don't know all our stories. But it is an important part of Christian practice because it helps us to start with the truth. The truth that we have messed up. Whether or not that was our attempt, our impact as fractured relationships. Over the course of our years and our days and our minutes, we have lost love. That inevitably we have said the wrong thing. We were quiet when we should have spoken up. We were greedy or selfish when we should have been giving. Or we gave too much when we should have been saving. That we put the wrong things first. That we were scared. And so we didn't make the best choice, which led to a second bad choice, which led to a third, which led to this. So while I suspect that God has always been like this, through Jesus we are assured that God's mercy is wide and God's love is deep. Through Jesus we have proof positive that the grace of God is more powerful than any sin we have committed and that, we, that God is able to bring wholeness back into our fragmented world, our fragmented relationships with each other, our fragmented lives, and is able even to do the first step in healing the fragmentation that exists between us and God. Because God is always asking us, where are you? And the first step of overcoming that isolation, that disconnect, that fragmentation that we often feel with God is by responding, I'm right here. But I was scared. And here's what happened. And then through the grace of our generous God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the stars and the sky, and even you, by the grace of that generous God, we are not kept at arm's length. But like a parent, we are invited to crawl into God's lap and tell God just where we've been. By the grace of that generous God, 
We are not cast out or away, but we are always invited back into that connection that we so desperately yearn for. And we're invited to start talking just like we were talking to our very best friend. By the grace of our generous God, we are asked, where are you? And we are listened to when we respond. Amen. Amen.